0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today.
1: Well, I'm excited to kick off a series before I head out of the country, but I do ask that you would join us in praying for our missions teams that are spread out all over the world. Misty mentioned this, from Costa Rica to Uganda. And this week, I get a chance to head out with five dads who are taking eight daughters, teenage daughters with us, Uh, to serve the church in South Africa. And I'm more nervous about this trip than any other trip I've ever taken. Five dads, eight teenage daughters, you know how to pray. Uh, But we're looking forward to having a really, a really awesome time uh, spreading the good news about the grace of our God. But before I leave, I really want us to uh, dive into uh, this mini-series. Over the next three weeks, we're going to reintroduce a series that we started last summer called Habits to talk about the importance of having good and godly habits. And I think all of us know that uh, those of us who have good and godly habits, if you have good and godly habits, it leads to a happy and a healthy life. How many know that to be true? Right. Well, the reality of the opposite is true as well. When you have bad habits, it leads to uh, a sad life, a life of pain and brokenness. Uh, You know, in many ways, our habits, what we do regularly, uh, determines our outcomes. Some of you may be familiar with the famous book written by Stephen Covey called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How many have heard of this book or or read the book? Most of you uh, have read the book before. He says in that book that we become what we do repeatedly. And I think that that's true, that we become what we do habitually or by habit. And the whole focus of this series is to help you to know that it wasn't Stephen Covey that invented that thought, that that thought is really grounded in Scripture. Turn with me for just a moment uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We won't uh, camp out here today, but I do want to just reference it to reinforce this idea of the expectation that we would adopt good habits and and do certain things repeatedly. It says in verse number 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, "'Rejoice always, pray without ceasing.'" Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice that rejoicing shouldn't happen occasionally, but how often should it happen? Always. You can say it with me. How often should it happen? Always. Notice that prayer shouldn't happen sporadically, but we should pray without what? ceasing. Giving thanks shouldn't happen in some circumstances, but giving thanks should happen when? In all circumstances. Over and again, the Bible tells us to adopt certain habits so that we can have good outcomes. Now, what is a good outcome according to Scripture that we might be found in the image and likeness of Christ? that we might pattern our lives after our Savior, so reflecting his grace and his love to the world. Well, if that be the case today, I wanna talk to you about one of the most important habits of the Christian life I want to talk to you about generosity. Now, generosity is something that often when it's it's brought up, it's with a little bit of nervousness and trepidation, but I want you to understand what generosity really is. That generosity is simply, if defined by the New Testament, it is simply the public expression of love. The way that we express our love for others and for God is through our generosity. Now, earlier today, uh, Misty shared that uh, Woodside is a generous church. And I would testify to that. I think all of our leaders would testify to that. So why speak on this topic of generosity? I think it's important for two reasons. Number one... What we don't remind ourselves of frequently, we are doomed to forget. You know, all of us know what it's like to have good habits in place, and then to get a bad week or a bad month, and you fall off the wagon, you uh, lose track of that good habit, and the next thing you know, bad habits set in. Anybody ever experienced that before? You're doing well, and then you kind of forget or give yourself permission to take a break from a good habit, and then bad habits seem to rule today. Well, so it is in life that if we forget, even in our spiritual life, if we don't frequently remind ourselves not only of what we do, but why we do it, we'll uh, most probably stop doing it. The second generation is something that is inspired in my, the second reason, rather, is something that is inspired in my heart uh, by a quote by Charles Spurgeon. The great British pr- preacher said this, that "Every generation must be evangelized. that just because you've reached one generation with a truth doesn't mean that the next generation has gotten it." And you know, I fear for many of us that our children and our grandchildren know that we believe in Jesus, but they may not know why we believe in Jesus. I fear that for many of our children and grandchildren, they know that we are generous, but they may not know why we are generous. So the question is, why be generous? Why would we sacrificially give of our time, our talent, and our treasure? Why be generous? It reminds me of a story that I recently heard, my wife and I recently heard the story of an, an older couple who went out to uh, lunch one day, and they were in a downtown area, and they bumped into a younger couple that they knew just a little bit from, from church, And they sparked up a conversation with this younger couple from from their church. And in the midst of updating on life, the younger couple shared with them that they have been saving towards uh an adoption they wanted to adopt and they need to save funds towards that adoption well that was something that stuck in the older couple's hearts well the next day uh the wife of the older couple called the younger couple and said can we stop by can we stop by and visit and the younger couple didn't know why they wanted to stop by felt a little bit weird but said yeah you can come on by and they came by and they asked them how much are you saving, or how much do you need for this adoption? And they told them the amount. They were kind of a little bit embarrassed to tell them how much it would cost. They needed $10,000. And so quietly, right there on their porch, the older couple pulled out a checkbook and wrote a check for them for $10,000. They had never received any type of gift like that. That was far more than what they ever imagined. And I remember hearing about the story, and what stuck with me was the question that the husband of the younger couple asked. He says, why in the world would someone even do this for us? And maybe you've asked that question before too. Why would someone be generous, or why would I ever give on a sacrificial level. Well, the story goes on that they were able to use those funds to adopt a beautiful baby girl from China and uh, changed her life and changed their life. Yeah, praise God uh, for that. You know, when you think of generosity, generosity shows up in three forms primarily. Make note of this. It's not just your finances, though that's a part, but think about it in three categories, your time, your talent, and your treasure. You know, sometimes generosity might be opening your home to a foster child. Sometimes generosity might be adoption. Sometimes generosity might be donating an organ to somebody who needs it just to live. Yeah, sometimes generosity might be giving financially to somebody who is in need or to a fund that can help uh, folks that are suffering around the world. But time, talent, treasure... Today, I want to introduce you to a group of people that stand out to me in Scripture because of their amazing generosity, and I want to tackle the question, why be generous? The New Testament gives us a number of motivations, but look at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Can you turn there with me? We're going to look at just five short verses 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I believe what we're going to see here is that our generosity is evidence of God's grace. One of the reasons why generosity is so important is because it testifies to the grace of God that is at work within us. How do we know that God's grace is at work within us? How do we know that the Spirit is moving within us? Well, I submit to you that one of the ways that the Apostle Paul would argue that we know that God's grace is at work within us is through the act of generosity. Look at... Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says... We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Now make note of that. This is Paul's subject matter. It is the grace of God. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I love this. He says that, I want you to know that the grace of God is at work in the churches of Macedonia. And how do we know? It's because of their extreme generosity. Now, a little bit about context so you can understand what's going on here This is written during Paul's third missionary journey. Those of you who know a little bit about the Apostle Paul know that he was a missionary. He went to various places and traveled and helped to start churches. But during this third missionary journey, there was a famine that was affecting many of the churches that was causing uh, not only great hunger, but great, great poverty as well. In particular, the Jerusalem church. was being deeply impacted by this. And so Paul, and we see it in several of his letters, in his letter to the Galatians, uh, to the Philippians, and here to the Corinthians, Paul was very much concerned about taking up an offering and giving to the Jerusalem church. Now, why would Paul be so concerned about that? Well, in part because in Paul's mind, the gospel Its origins start with the Jerusalem church. The way that Paul's mind uh, thought and the way he expresses it throughout the New Testament is that every church, including ours, owes a debt to that Jerusalem church because from that church sprang the gospel that spread around the world. And his heart was that these Gentile churches that were starting Gentile lands would have a deep sense of gratitude and reciprocity, uh, a desire to give back to the Jerusalem church because of what they had invested in them spiritually. And so, in various places, he asks, For support to go back to this Jerusalem church. But what's very interesting here, and what we're gonna find here, is that Paul never asked for the Macedonian church to give. He was, he was encouraging the Corinthian church to give, and what he uses is the Macedonian churches as a way of motivating the Corinthian church. Now, we're gonna be doing a study on the Corinthian church in a few weeks, so I'm not gonna give all of the background in this church away, but I would just say that they were a wealthy church. And uh, the story goes that they had purpose in their heart to give a gift to uh, Jerusalem, but somewhere along the way, they have forgot about it. Have you ever had a time where you said, I'm going to do something nice for someone, and then life got in the way and you didn't fulfill that gift? Well, that's what exactly Paul was concerned about with these Corinthians. And so he uses the Macedonian churches, which specifically would have been the church at Philippi, the church at Galatia, he uses them to challenge the Corinthian believers to fulfill their gift. And he says, here's what I want you to know is that grace is expressed or evidenced through generosity. Now, I want you to follow this line of thinking because if generosity is an act of grace and an expression of love, then generosity can open the doors for salvation. That is my motivation in sharing this message with you. It is my deep conviction that many of us underappreciate the fact that one act of generosity can open the door wide for a person's salvation. And I'm praying that we will be sensitive enough to the leading of the Spirit that we will be open to how God may want to express his generosity in and through us so that on the other side of it, someone might come to know Christ. How many have a deep desire for that? Well, how does grace impact us? Well, the first thing that God's grace does is it enables us. God's grace enables us to give in spite of our circumstances. Look at their circumstances again in verse number two. He says here, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. If ever there were paradoxical terms, it is these terms that we see here. Look at the terms that are used here verse number two, a severe test of affliction. They have been experiencing severe affliction and the uh, affliction that's here is the persecution that came along with being a Christ follower. When you were a Christ follower in the first century during this time, odds are things were shut down for you socially. You were kicked out of job opportunities. You weren't invited into certain social circles. And so financially, you would have suffered pretty deeply. But he says... Out of that affliction, there was an abundance of joy. Notice how joy and affliction are married together. How in the world does that happen? How many describe your affliction with terms of joy? How many do that? Very few of us ever do that, but yet this is exactly what grace does. What grace does when God's grace enters the picture, you're able to have joy even in the midst of affliction goes on to use two other paradoxical terms together. He says, and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. When you think about extreme poverty, none of us think about a wealth of generosity. Those things seem to be opposed to one another. So how do you get joy with affliction, generosity with poverty? The only answer to that is what we saw in verse number one, the grace of God. The grace of God is able to empower you, to enable you to give in spite of your circumstances. Maybe you've seen this before. I know I did, I remember my first time going to, to Africa. Now, now anyone who's ever done any history on your place of origin, your family's place of origin and ever gotten a chance to travel back to that land know how deeply meaningful uh, those trips are. There are friends that I know that uh, are from German backgrounds and they've gone back to Germany and talked about how powerful that was in their lives, or Scottish backgrounds. Well, for me, going to Africa for the first time in 2007 was, was deeply meaningful. And when I got there, I encountered a number of people who had, on a material level, far less than I did But what was amazing about them was how extremely generous they were. Some of the most generous people I have ever met. The experience was marked by generosity. They were generous in their hospitality. Everyone opened up their homes to me and my friends that were with me that traveled uh, there. They were not only generous with their hospitality, they were generous with their wisdom. So much of what they had learned in serving Christ in those circumstances, they freely freely, uh, share with me and the others who were with me. It was many powerful long nights and great conversations. They weren't just generous with their hospitality and their wisdom, they were generous with their food. We ate well, friends. We ate well all through Uganda where we were. We had so many meals. And and I knew, I knew that many of these meals were not the typical meals that they would eat if we weren't there, but because they were hosting us, many of them went over and above in serving us. Generosity didn't stop there. I think one of the climactic acts of generosity while I was there is that a group of them gathered around, prayed for me and our friends, and gave each of us tribal names or names that would have been connected with uh, the Ugandan culture. It was a beautiful, beautiful name. They gave me a a name, Kigozi, and uh, it was uh, a name that was given to one of the first evangelists that came through Uganda. Imagine the pride that I felt going back on that plane, knowing I wasn't just Chris, I was Kagozi as well. Doesn't show up on my birth certificate, but certainly written in my heart. And it was just an amazing time of generosity, and it taught me something powerful, and that is when God's grace is at work, it enables us to give in spite of our circumstances I know many of us are looking at our circumstances right now, and we say, what do I have to offer? Yes, maybe uh, your circumstances may require a different level of creativity in your generosity, but never let your circumstances become an excuse on not being generous. Demonstrate that the grace of God is at work in your life. Through your generosity. Maybe it's shown through hospitality. Maybe it's shown through giving of food. Maybe it's shown through love, affection, care, sharing of wisdom. But let's be a generous people with our time, talent, and treasure. Well, Paul goes on to describe not only the grace of God and its enabling power to allow us to give beyond our circumstances, but God's grace enables us to give beyond our means as well. Look at verses three and four. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief effort of the saints. There's so much powerful there. What was the last time you saw a group of people begging for an offering? begging for an opportunity to give. God's grace was so powerfully at work. What what this implies is that somehow in Paul's uh, thinking, he felt maybe I won't pressure the Macedonian Christians to give probably because of their extreme poverty, probably because he knew of their affliction. He probably was thinking, I can go to the Corinthians and ask them for money uh, to help in the relief efforts because after all, they're wealthy, they're doing well. But the Macedonian Christian says, wait a minute, don't skip us as if you're doing us some favor by relieving us of the opportunity to give. No, giving is an opportunity for us to demonstrate the grace of God. No, Paul, you're not going to skip us. We're participating too. And I pray that that would be the heart that we would have when we think of missions all over the world, when we think of opportunities to support the next generation, when we think of opportunities to plant churches that will spread the gospel in communities that desperately need it, that we would say, don't skip me. I want to be a part of what God is doing. How many want to be a part of what God is doing in the gospel in the earth? Amen? They gave beyond their means. Now, Paul states this, and I love the way he states it. He says, first, they gave according to their means. Now, this is the typical principle of giving throughout the Scriptures, is that we would give in accordance to how God has blessed us. The principle starting with Abraham and throughout the Old Testament, Torah was the tithe or 10% of our income we would give back to God. By the time we get over into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul doesn't talk so much about tithing as he does giving in proportionality to how God has blessed you to give in accordance to your means. This is what is typically expected of you, that you would be faithful in giving. And why do we give? It's because our giving is an acknowledgement of the reality that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Who gave you the strength to work that job? It was God. Who gave you breath in your lungs to live life today? It was God. Who woke you up this morning and started you on your way? It was God. Now, I'm glad you didn't say it was your alarm clock, because for a lot of us, we may think, well, it was my alarm clock that woke me up this morning. But think about this for a moment. How many alarm clocks went off around this country to people who didn't wake up because their life was over? Praise God that he gives us breath in our lungs. Praise God that he gives us strength in our limbs. Praise God that every good and perfect gift comes from him. And how many can acknowledge that today, that he has been good to you and provided for you? And so our giving is an acknowledgement of that fact. But notice what Paul says. They didn't just give according to their means. They gave beyond their means. This is the exception to the rule. This isn't what God expects from us always. But there are certain times, and for certain ones of us, there are moments when God will challenge us to give above and beyond your means. You know, a few weeks ago, we, uh, at our executive team, we were uh, looking at our finances and we were saying, you know, our church is experiencing the impact of this current economic downturn. And we begin to talk about how can we support our, the families of our church and, and how do we talk about generosity in a season like this? And one of the things that the Lord laid on my heart was to simply say this, be as faithful as you can, and that is a general principle for most of us, for all of us. But for some of us, the challenge is, is to know that God has blessed us in special ways, and this is an opportunity in the moment to give above and beyond, knowing that one act of generosity can change the entire story. And you know what's been amazing? Is that since that time, week after week after week, we have seen individuals respond to that message, and friends, it has changed the entire story. It has made an enormous difference in what we as a church are able to say yes to. The reality is is that we have to live fiscally responsible lives, not only individually but, but even as a ministry, and so we have to determine what we can say yes to based off of what has been provided. But what has been amazing is to see men and women would say, yes, the Lord is saying to my heart, this week is my week to do something above and beyond. This was certainly the case for the Macedonians. You know, it makes me think of uh, a story. Uh, you may have heard this before. It's a story of an old preacher, old country preacher, who wanted to test one of his members in their generosity. He had a member who was a, a cattle rancher, a cattle farmer, and he comes to that uh, member and he says, let me ask you a question. If you had 20 cows, would you give God 10? And the guys quickly said, yes, I would give God 10. And he says, well, let me ask you a second question. If you had 10 cows, would you give God five? And he said, yeah, I would give God five if I had 10 cows. And he says to him, okay, another question. If you had two cows, would you give God one? And the man looked at him and said, now, Pastor, you know that's not fair. You know I only have two cows. The reality is for most of us, when it's a hypothetical on giving, we'll quickly say yes. We are eager to give what we don't really have. Many of us are willing to give 10 out of 20 cows if we don't have 20 cows. Many of us are willing to give five out of 10 cows if we don't have 10 cows. But if we have two cows and God comes and says to us, will you give me above and beyond from what you have? That's when it gets serious. C.S. Lewis says, uh, that I'm afraid that determining the exact amount a person should give is impossible. The only safe rule is to give sacrificially from your means. The only safe rule is as the, as, uh, the great psalmist David said, I won't offer to the Lord something that costs me nothing Remembering, giving is an act of grace. It's an expression of love. And on the other side of our generosity, doors swing wide open for the gospel. That's the motivation. So Paul tells us here that the grace of God enables us to give beyond our circumstances and enables us to give beyond our means. Well, the final thing he says is that the grace of God enables us to give more than just money. Look at what he says in verse number five. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Look at what he says here. He says, listen, this was not, they didn't give like we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves first, and then they gave their resources. I wonder where they would get that concept from, giving yourself on someone else's behalf. Giving yourself for someone else's benefit. Well, I think of John 3.16. I think they got that from the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. The sacrifice of Jesus for our salvation sets the model, friends, and it communicates something to us, that when we are generous, we are reflecting the character of our God, who is the most generous being in all the universe. As a matter of fact, the entire story of Scripture is a story of his generosity. Recently, I was invited to speak at a conference on generosity. It was called A Celebration of Generosity. And I was asked to give a talk there, but while I was there, I met this incredibly gifted young man. His name is David. David is a poet, and he's commissioned by various groups to write poems. Recently, he was commissioned by this group to write a poem on the generosity of God. I want you to see what David wrote about how the story of scripture is the story of God's generosity. Watch this, and then I'll come back. We'll pray, and we will go out from this place to be a generous
0: people. Watch this. This is the story of God's generosity. And that story begins in the beginning. For creation itself was the first place God put his generosity on public display. So I want you to think about creation this way. For what had nothingness done to deserve the creative words God was about to say? What had the darkness given to God that he needed to repay? What did God owe to the swirling wild and waste? What did chaos do to earn those first six days. I mean, what did God see when he looked into the dark void of the sea that moved him to create sun and moon and earth with speech? Well, the answer to all of these is exactly what existed before the words in the beginning. And that is nothing. Nothing earned God's first act of creativity, which makes... The creation of the world, a supreme act of generosity. You see, God built generosity into the grain of the universe. To give is to live in harmony with the way God has made everything. But to take is to go against the grain. And yet that's exactly how we chose to repay the generous act of our being made. We took what God already freely gave. We ate from a tree that promised to make us into the image of God in which we had already been made. You see, we brought greed into God's universe of generosity. And that is what began our defeat. the world that God created to generously give us, our food, our home, our life, our rest would turn on us and start to take from us until it took us all the way to death. And yet, the Bible is still the story of God's generosity. Even though Cain took a life and the sons of God took the daughters of men, even though we took over the world with our evil, flooding it with our sin, even though the Babylonians tried to take God's throne, building a tower up to him, God was still generous to freely give when we had only taken. And he proved this by choosing a man named Abram. A Babylonian, by the way, who had done nothing to receive God's generous donation, yet God would rename him. And he made him a promise that through his children, God would generously bless every nation. And that's exactly what we see through the pages of biblical history, because the Bible is the story of God's generosity. You can see it clearly in God's generosity to Moses. How God chose him, though he was a murderer and deserter, a doubter and a stutterer. Yet God would use him to show just how generous he would be to the entire populace of Israel. Though they were penniless in Egypt, God would shower them with resources, right? Manna in the wilderness and his own guiding presence. The law to direct them and a land for their own possession. God would give this undeserving people the land flowing with milk and honey because the Bible is the story of God's generosity. Even though his people deposed him, God generously gave them a king. Though they trusted in false gods for provision, God generously provided for them patiently. Though they were greedy, God continued to give. Though they deserved to die, God continued to let them live. Until finally, After countless warnings over the centuries, God decided that the return on his generosity had finally reached its lowest percentile. So he cut them off as beneficiaries and he sent them into exile. Yet while this may seem like the end of God's benevolence, the sunset of his philanthropy, in actuality, God was just setting the stage for his greatest act of generosity. And this next endowment would be far greater than the one he made in the beginning. For the beneficiary would not just be a formless world that had done nothing to deserve the blessing he would bring it. Instead, the grantees would be we who had done everything to disqualify ourselves and put barriers between us. For we had wasted God's donation. Our embezzlement was egregious. We had misappropriated every cent of God's funds. Every line item of our life was falsified and facetious. And yet, to the crooks and frauds of the world, God generously gave Jesus. He gave himself. He gave his son. He gave his life. He gave his blood. He gave some nobody, no one, no religion, no God could ever give, could claim to give, or could even say they had the propensity to make such a gift. The one true eternal God that created the cosmos with his generosity gave his life on the cross to buy back the very ones who had squandered his charity. And yet, because God built generosity into the universe, because he made giving flow with its grain, then the most generous gift that Jesus gave could only return to himself as a blessing when he rose from the grave. And now our most generous God has given Jesus the name above every name so that the whole world would know that the most generous man who ever lived is now the God and King who forever reigns friends, this is the story of the Bible. It's the story of God's generosity. And now that we know the story, that giving is how we were made, that God has sown generosity into our DNA. May we live this story. May we give as Jesus gave. May we live with the universe's grain, knowing that when we do, our story and God's story will be one and the same. Thank you very much.
1: Let's all stand. Freely we have received, so freely we should give. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your generosity to us. Thank you for the cross of Christ, which we cannot repay. And thank you for the invitation, Lord, to live as you lived. And so I pray that as we leave this place, but never your presence, that we would look for opportunities to express your generosity. And we pray that generosity of Jesus expressed through us would demonstrate your love and would open doors for the gospel. And may many come to faith in Christ as we live as a generous people. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen.